All right. Hello, Christ community. We're so glad you're here. Uh, We are a church that believes that God is alive and that he is changing people's lives. There are so many cool stories of that happening around here. I was just visiting with a a married couple recently who said to me, this church is the only reason that our marriage is together today. I mean, that is so cool. God does that sort of thing, right? He heals hearts. He heals lives and marriages. He gives hope. And that's really what we as a church are all about. We want to change more people's stories. A key part of that is through the For the City and Beyond vision, where we as a church have been focusing our hearts on nine specific areas of need, including poverty and refugees and children and families and and the emotionally broken. Um, You you heard in the announcements that we're having some upcoming gatherings. We're calling them Engage Meetings, where you can learn more about how you um, or your e-group can engage more specifically in some of these areas of need. And so we have one of these coming up Wednesday. It's going to be focused on children and families, which is a huge area that includes poverty and refugees. It's also a huge, huge area. So again, if you or your e-group is is perhaps interested in hearing more about opportunities, what it might look like to engage with children and families in our community, we encourage you to to attend this Wednesday. Um, Now, why is this important? This whole children and families thing, I mean, why is this important? Let me tell just something that happened um, a couple months ago. I was was sitting two months ago, uh, it's longer than a few months ago, I was sitting in a courtroom actually. Um, watching the, the, an adoption happen. I'd never had that. I've never been in the courtroom to watch it. It was a really, really cool experience. So a, a family in our church, I was adopting, they had foster, uh, adopted a, a child. And so this child was officially becoming part of their family. And so I'm watching these proceedings and, and it's, it's just kind of a, a really serious thing. So they, 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 the, the lawyers and everything, they start talking about the background this child was coming from and the family and how challenging it was and difficult it was. And then the, the, the situation this child was going to be going into, this new family and becoming adopted a part of this family. And it was just really, really cool story. So the judge starts to talk and he starts, he starts crying. The judge started crying. This was here in, in Greeley. And he, he said, he stopped and he said, I need you just to just explain why, I'm, why I'm, I'm feeling emotional right now. He said, we don't have very many happy stories like this here in this room. Rarely are they this happy in terms of the blessing this child is going to experience. And that just struck me, and, and it just reminded me, that's why we're doing the children and families thing. I mean, it's, there, there are so many needs. It's about tutoring kids. It's about connecting and family, all sorts of things. But it's also about kind of reengaging this adoption ministry that we've had for a long time, and foster kids being adopted, all sorts of things. I mean, this, this matters. That's why we're doing this. That's why we're passionate about it. It's why we're having these engaged meetings. And so if that resonates in your heart, you want to explore what it would look like to make a difference with children and families in our, in our city, we'd love for you to come Wednesday night. It's going to be just a great evening. That's just going to be one of, of several of these meetings where we'll be focusing on different areas. Um, and so you can, you can see in your newsletter more information about that. But, but we want to just change more people's stories, just like that child's story was forever changed. We want to change more. Um, we have a new teaching series coming up um, next week. We're starting. It's called Relationships. Um, we're going to spend four weeks looking at, at, it's kind of a relationship one-on-one, kind of this, this core ways, four core ways to improve our relationships, whether it's friendship or marriage or parenting, workplace, school. Um, also next week, we're going to be doing our buy 
biannual child blessing where at the end of the message, we're going to bring in all the kiddos and we're going to pray a blessing over them. So just make sure that the children in your life are in church next week, okay? Because they're going to be blessed, literally. All right. So today we are finishing up a teaching series entitled Holy Freedom. For the past few weeks, we have been talking about how we can walk in freedom, how we can break free from those habits and those behaviors that, that bring us down and that are negatively impacting our lives, whether it's a struggle with anger or lust or lying or an addiction to some activity or some substance. It's something we know is not what we want to be doing, but we still struggle to stop doing it. We may try to get better, but rarely does that work. So is there any hope? Can we walk in freedom? Absolutely. In this series, we've been looking at a passage of scripture where God shows us how we can walk in freedom. This passage is found in the book of Colossians. It's a letter the apostle Paul wrote on the book of, to, to the church in Colossae. It's called Colossians. And in this letter, Paul clearly lays out Two approaches, two approaches to freedom. One is what I would call the trying harder approach, where you focus on rules and rituals and regulations. I'm just going to try to do better, right? That may seem like a, like a really spiritual path, but it doesn't work. Holiness or freedom is not found in trying hard. What this passage declares is that true freedom is found in a dynamic, life-changing, intimate love relationship with Jesus. See, ultimately, Jesus is the answer to our struggle with anger or lust or greed or lying or whatever. Now, I, I realize that, that may, that's a pretty significant statement, especially if you're a person who is not sure you even believe in Jesus. Perhaps you have a hard time with this idea that Jesus can really make a difference in, in someone's life. If that's you, that is totally cool. This is a safe environment to explore Jesus. And I hope this message gives you a picture of how Jesus can impact your life. Okay, so in the first few verses of this passage, Paul lays out this critically important foundation for freedom, which is what we talked about a few weeks ago in the first two, uh, two uh, messages in this series. The importance of one, setting our heart on Jesus, and then secondly, the importance of setting our minds on him. Okay, both of these are present tense realities. But there is one other foundational aspect to walking in freedom that Paul mentions. And what's unique about this one, what's unique about this one is that it is something that for most of us has already happened in the past. It's that moment where many of us here said yes to Jesus. When we saw our need, we saw our sinfulness and our separation from God, and we chose, in that moment, we chose to place our trust in Jesus for salvation. At that moment in our past, two very significant things happened. Things that can have a huge impact on our experience of freedom today. They happened in the past, but they can have a huge experience, a huge impact on our experience of freedom today. Okay, so, so let me read Colossians 3, verses 1 through 3, and I, I want you to pay attention as I read. Pay attention to the two things Paul mentions that have already happened. They are, they, they, they are past tense things. They've already happened. Okay, here we go. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in 
God. This is God's word. Okay, so in the midst of these present tense commands to set our hearts and our minds on Jesus, Paul mentions two life-changing realities that have already happened to any believer in Jesus. Life-changing reality number one. Why don't you say this out loud with me? I have died. Let's do that again. I have died. Okay, how's that for a cheery thought? Um, Look at what Paul says, verse three. For you died, past tense. This is something that has already happened to a believer in Jesus. So what is he talking about? It doesn't look like any of us are dead yet. So what does this mean? He's talking about something that happened the moment someone places his or her trust in Jesus. At that moment, we were united with Jesus in his death on the cross. So in a spiritual sense, we actually died with him. And in that death, there there were two specific things that we were released from, that we died to, that we were released from. First of all, we were released from the overwhelming weight of condemnation. Now, I love how Paul describes this in chapter 2 of Colossians, beginning in verse 13. So this is a chapter earlier. Here's what happened the moment of salvation. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. What is Paul talking about here? What is this legal indebtedness? What is that? See, Paul, Paul, he, he's giving us this vivid picture of what forgiveness looks like. See, there are a lot of us here. When we hear these first words, oh, he forgives us all our sins. Oh, yeah, I know that. I know that, I know God forgave me, all this stuff. But do we really understand the weight of what happened? See, here's the picture Paul gives. Imagine that there is a list of all of your failures, of all of your mistakes, all of your sins, all the times in word or thought or motive or deed, you and I didn't follow God. All the times we hated or we lied or we cheated or we were selfish. All the times we did something good, but with the, self, with, with the wrong motive. All the times we didn't love people well. All the times we failed. So how, how long is that list? Imagine it's a list of all, every time we did it. How long is that list? It's probably a lot longer than we think. In fact, it reminds me of that scene from Bruce Almighty where Bruce has this conversation with God who is played by Morgan Freeman. All right, what is this? How do you know my father and how do you get my pager number? Oh, I know quite a lot about you, Bruce. Just about everything there is to know. Everything you've ever said or done or thought about doing right there in that file cabinet. Wow, a whole drawer just for me. Yeah. Mind if I take a look? It's your life. That's not to be good. Okay, so... Can we just admit that our sins and failures would fill up a large file cabinet and that God's personal file cabinet is empty. He is holy. So from a judicial perspective, all of these failures and these sins of ours, they stand against us. 
They are all evidences of how far we are from God's standard. Every one of those items condemn us. And together they form this overwhelming reality, this huge list. It just creates all this shame and fear and failure and guilt. I mean, we are really, 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 really far from God. And there is nothing we can do to pay off this debt. There's nothing we can do to fix our situation. So God did something. Verse 14, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Now, how awesome is that? This huge list of sins and failures, this unpayable debt of sinfulness canceled, totally removed, (laughs) completely taken away. So where is it? It's nailed to the cross. So that's what Paul says. All of our sins, all of our failures, even those we haven't committed yet, all of those have been paid for by Jesus. There is no list condemning us anymore. There is no debt hanging over our heads that we need to pay to God. It has been paid in full. When we become a Christian, at that moment, we were forever released from this debt. We were forever released from condemnation. So when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin anymore. He sees the holiness of Jesus. See, the point that Paul is making is that if you have placed your trust in Christ, this past event that has already happened, it can significantly impact your present day reality. Because when we know in the depth of our being that God does not condemn us, when we know that our sin has been paid for in full, it frees us. It frees us from a trying harder, fear-based approach to freedom where God, and a lot of people live this way, God is our employer and we're trying really, really hard to please him. And yet, honestly, we're not doing that well. See, what happened in your past at the moment of salvation is that God stopped being your employer and he became your father, your loving heavenly father permanently which means that nothing, nothing, nothing will separate you from his love. You can never get fired from your father. You can get fired from an employer. You can never get fired from your father, right? (laughs) For you died. You were released from that list once and for all. Can anyone give me an amen on that? I mean, that's pretty good news, right? Okay, no condemnation. Okay, good. But there's more than that. There's more than that. When Paul said, for you died, he's not only talking about our release from the condemnation of sin. He is also talking about how we are released from the bullying of sin. Now, what do I mean by that? How does a bully operate? He uses force and power to coerce, to intimidate, to influence so when, when we had no power in our self to resist, but when we have no power, bullies make our life miserable, right? That's the power sin had over us before we placed our trust in Jesus. It was a big and powerful bully. And that's what sin was. And we had no way to resist it. Sin dominated our lives and there was, there was really nothing we could do about it. And the reality was it was so ingrained in us that we didn't really even notice there was a problem. Sin was just so embraced. It was our master, but it was cleverly disguised as self, right? So we freely chose this pathway 
not realizing it was leading us to destruction and separation from God. Okay, so that was, that was all happening. Then we placed our trust in Christ. We placed our trust in Jesus and we were united with him in his death, okay? And in that union, something very significant happened to that bully. Look how Paul describes this in the next verse, chapter two, verse 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made, Jesus made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. See, the bully of sin was exposed and disarmed by Jesus. In other words, the power that sin had over us was broken. That bully of lust or lying or envy that beat us up all the time, it can no longer order us around as if he is in charge because he's not in charge anymore. He's not in charge anymore. Jesus is. And Jesus is way more powerful I mean, it's funny how quickly a bully disappears when you show up with a huge bodyguard, right? Bullies have a way of disappearing. Well, Jesus is our bodyguard now. Jesus is our bodyguard, right? And he is way more powerful than sin. So do we live in the truth that we do not have to choose sin? That when we have a relationship with Jesus, we have all the resources we need to say no to sin. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't mean we'll never struggle with temptation, but it does mean that we don't have to let sin control us any longer. We have been released from the stranglehold, the bullying of sin. Okay, so when we placed our faith in Jesus, we died to the condemnation of sin and the bullying power of sin, <clears throat> which leads to the second past tense reality that Paul mentions in Colossians 3, one to three. Second reality here. So one was I have died. Second one, say this with me. I have been raised with Christ. Let's say that again. I have been raised with Christ. See, this is how Paul starts this whole section. Verse one, since then you have been raised with Christ Set your hearts on things above. See, our ability to walk in freedom in the present hinges upon this past reality. You have been raised with Christ. Now, what does that mean? <clears throat> it means that our spirits have been made alive. Suddenly there is spiritual life in us where before there was nothing, there was nothing but spiritual death. There was no pulse in us, spiritually speaking. There was no desire for God. There was no power to walk in alignment with God's heart and experience true freedom and real peace and unbridled joy. We were on the operating table and it was code blue or whatever code it would be. I don't know what it would be, but code something, red, black, blue, whatever, okay? Spiritually speaking, our heart was not beating. We had no relationship with Jesus. And then came that moment when we placed our trust in him and everything changed, right? The electric paddles came out, kathunk, right? Or whatever, kachunk, whatever that is. And we were in that moment, we were made alive. Our hearts started beating. Our spiritual hearts started beating. We were made alive in that moment. With the very spirit of God, the very presence of Jesus came to live in us. Suddenly we now have a spiritual pulse, we now have a hunger for God. We now want to follow God. We now have 24-7 access to the presence and the power and the love and the life of Jesus. I mean, this, this past tense reality, this past tense experience is, 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 is now our current reality. If you have placed your trust in Jesus, you have been raised. 
with Christ. This is a done deal. It's already happened. It is true of you. It is absolutely true of you. Now, let me apply this in a particular situation here. There may be some of you here who maybe you prayed a sinner's prayer years ago. Perhaps you've gone to church off and on for decades or whatever. But if you were to honestly look at your life, or if others were to look at your life, the conclusion would be pretty clear. There is no spiritual pulse. There is no spiritual pulse. And there never really has been. I mean, you, you at times have maybe gone through the motions, maybe gone to church or whatever, but there is no real vibrant relationship with God. If that's you, my counsel to you is this. You need to get saved. You need to get saved. I'm not saying that you lost your salvation. I'm saying that it may have never happened. See, I believe the scripture teaches that when someone is genuinely saved, they are permanently saved. So if there is no evidence of salvation in your life, it may be because you never got the real thing. So what you need is Jesus. Receive him now. Let your life be transformed by him. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about a relationship with Jesus. Now, there are others, there may be others here who for whatever reason, you have resisted saying yes to Jesus. But in your heart right now, in your heart, you know now is the time. You long for his, this life that he promises. You long to experience what I've been describing here. Freedom from condemnation and his presence making you alive and living in you. You long for those things, which is awesome. So let's just do it, okay? Let's do it. I wanna stop right now. The message isn't done. I got more, there's no more to say here, but I want to stop right now and I want to give anyone here an opportunity to do that, to place your trust in Jesus, to step across that line of faith. So let's just, let's all bow our heads here. And if that's you, either one of those scenarios is you. One, you realize, man, maybe you've been doing religious things, but there is no pulse. There's no spiritual life. Or two, you're thinking, it's time. I don't want a religion. I want a relationship with Jesus. I want my list of sins forgiven. And I want him to come live in me. Either one of those scenarios, I want, you to, I want to lead you in a prayer. Pray with me right now in the quiet of your heart. Dear God, I acknowledge that you are holy. You are sinless. You are perfect. And I'm not. And I acknowledge that my sin, it separates me from you. It is condemning me. This list of things I've done wrong, all these failures, it's condemning me. But I don't want to be condemned. I don't want to be separated from you. So even though there was nothing I could do to fix this, you did something. You sent your son Jesus to come to earth and to die on a cross in my place. You, Jesus, you paid the penalty. I should have paid. You nailed, you, you were nailed on the cross taking all of my sin. And I choose right now to place my trust in you. I bring you my faults and my sins and my failures and my doubts and my questions. I just bring it all to you. And I now receive your life. Forgive my sin. Cancel that written code that is against me. Cancel all of it. Forgive my sin, past, present, and the sins I haven't even committed yet. All of them covered by your blood. And come live in me through the presence of your spirit, changing me from the inside out.
So, Father, I want to pray for anyone here who prayed that prayer. Thank you, Lord. Help them grow in this amazing relationship with you. Help them grow in that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, awesome. But I want to go back to this point. There's more to say here. If you are a Christian... If you have placed your trust in Jesus, even if you just did this, you have been raised with him. It is a done deal, which means he lives in you always. He is constantly available to fill you with more of his power, more of his love, more of his grace, more of his compassion. You are alive in him, no matter how you feel. No matter what circumstances are telling you, you are alive in him. This is absolutely true of you. It has already happened. You don't have to work for this. You don't have to strive for this. It has happened. It is a past tense reality. It's a done deal. So the question is, if this has happened, how do we activate these truths more fully in our lives? We have learned that at salvation, we have died and we are raised with Christ. We've learned that. So how do we live more fully in these truths? If it's not about trying harder, if it's not about striving, how do we activate these truths? Well, there is, there is one critically important key to this, and you will find it expressed in almost every page of scripture from Genesis to Revelation, everything in between. What is it? Faith. Faith in Jesus. Now, obviously, we enter into this relationship with Jesus through faith. We just talked about that, placing our trust in him. But what we often fail to realize, many people who have placed their faith in Jesus, what we fail to realize is that we also grow in our relationship with him through faith. It's not like the rules change. Okay, you enter in by faith, but now you got to try really hard to follow. That's not the way it works. Not only are we saved by faith, we are sanctified by faith. We are continually made more like Jesus through our faith in him. We are called to live by faith every moment of every day to live by faith. So what does that look like? <clears throat> it's exactly what Paul describes in verses one, one, one and two here. And I want to just go over this again. These verses are so powerful. Since then, he says, you have been raised with Christ. We just talked about that. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. See, that's one aspect of faith. It, it is this continual decision to set our heart and our affection on Jesus. To, to, we start, talked about this the first week, to, to see him as the awesome, sufficient, loving savior that he is, finding our life and our meaning and our sufficiency in him. And th this is huge. This is huge. I was reading a book <clears throat> very recently. In fact, yesterday, by a very wise pastor who has been doing this Christianity thing for a long time, this Christian life thing for a long time. And listen to what he wrote. He said, I have learned that all my ambition, discipline, and deeply felt repentance had little effect on my life as it pertains to holiness. A holy lifestyle is the natural result of delighting in the one who is holy. The one who accepts me as I am. All the sweaty efforts have not changed anything in my life worth mentioning, except to make me more prideful and miserable. I wish I had discovered this aspect of the Christian life much earlier in my walk with the Lord. It would have saved me years of frustration. That is so powerful. 
How do we become holy? It's not by, oh, trying. No, no. How do we become holy? He says it right here. By delighting in the one who is holy. (laughs) By delighting in Jesus, setting our hearts and our affections on him. Okay, so that's one aspect of living by faith, setting my heart on Jesus continually. But that's not all. Paul then says, verse 2, set your minds on things above. Not on earthly things, for you died. See, this is faith as well. It's when we set our minds, our thoughts on on the things that we've been talking about today, on the truth of who we are in Christ, that we have have been released from this list of failures that continually condemns us. We've been released from that. We've been released from the bullying of sin and that we are alive in Christ. We need to set our minds on these truths. Declare that they are true of you no matter what your circumstances. See, folks, imagine, imagine the impact in your life and mine if every moment of every day we were activating these truths by faith. We were looking to Jesus. We were believing what he has done for us believing that it was true. I remember, I just thought of this analogy. I remember watching a TED talk um, a couple months ago and this lady was talking about body language and she talked about how our body language shapes who we are and how people perceive us. So if we go into a job interview like this, Yes, I do this. And, you know, it, kind of in this diminutive sort of posture, the research shows that you do, people don't look at you the same way. They, they don't think of you as highly. If you go in and she pr- practices this whole thing, the Superman kind of thing, right? Before you go into an interview, not in the interview itself, but before you go in, kind of just do this, right? So then you go in like this. It makes a huge difference. Just body language, And I was thinking about that spiritually. How many of us spiritually, in terms of the truths we've been talking about, we live this way, you know? Yeah, things are bad. And, you know, we just kind of look at our circumstances. Imagine if we lived this way. I have died (laughs) to the condemnation of sin. I have died to the bullying of sin. I am alive with Christ. This is true of me. Imagine if we lived that way, if we lived in light of those things that we believe these, we're declaring them as true, our, our, the, the impact on our spiritual perception would be huge. The impact on our lives would be huge. Okay, now, and so these two truths, I've died, I'm alive with Christ, I've risen with him. Now, here's what's really, really cool. When something is really, really, really important to remember, it helps to attach a symbol to that, right? So we, we remember truths better when they're attached to some symbol. So a wedding ring for it, this reminds me, oh yeah, I'm married, right? Uh, actually, I don't need a reminder, but, but, um, but a wedding ring can serve, that, serve in that way. Or, or maybe you have a tattoo that has some symbolic significance for you. You got it because of some scripture or something that, that was really, really significant. Or, or perhaps you planted a tree in someone's honor. These are symbols of significant things in our lives. And here's the deal. Because these truths that we've been talking about here are so important, because they're so important, God has attached to them a symbol that all of us can understand. What is that symbol? Baptism. Baptism. I mean, baptism is the symbol, the symbol of salvation. But not only that, baptism is an amazingly powerful symbol of the realities that we've just been talking about. The life-changing realities that accompany our salvation. 
So, so look at what Paul says earlier. This is in Colossians again, chapter two, in the midst of this discussion about what happened to us at our salvation. In the midst of this, look at what Paul says. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. See, baptism powerfully expresses both of the truths that we've talked about today. So when a person goes under the water in baptism, it symbolizes the fact that they have, what, died. Right? It symbolizes the fact that they have died. They are united with Christ in his death. And when they come out of the water, it symbolizes the truth that they have been raised with Christ to new life. Okay, so no wonder God established baptism as the primary way to publicly acknowledge our salvation. Baptism doesn't save anyone. You, you don't get baptized in order to be saved. We, we've already talked about how salvation happens when we place our trust in Jesus who died on the cross for us and he rose from the dead for us. That's what saves a person, our faith in him. So, so baptism, baptism is not a way to, to be saved, but it is critically important. God says that once you've been saved, he wants you to be baptized. He commands us to do this. He, he wants you to publicly acknowledge what has already happened. And in doing so, you are reinforcing these two life-changing realities of your salvation, that you died with Christ and that you are now raised with him. So let me bring this home. We're going, to have, we're going to have some baptisms here in a few minutes, and there are several people that have already expressed a desire to be baptized, which is, which is great. But we also know there are probably some of you here who have placed your faith in Jesus maybe five minutes ago, maybe at a recent Alpha course, maybe years ago. You've placed your faith in Jesus, but you have never been baptized as a believer. I'm not talking about as an infant. Infant baptism was more about your parents' desire for you. I'm talking about you publicly declaring for yourself through baptism that you are a follower of Jesus. God commands us to do this once we become a Christian. So if that's you, here's my question. Why not get baptized today? Why put this off any longer? Now, I know sometimes we think, well, I'm not really ready. And, and my, you know, my parents, I want my parents to be here. I want my friends to be here. I, I totally get that. But, but, but I want to gently remind you, this is not about them. This is not about them. This is about you obeying a clear command of God to be baptized. And we'll take pictures so you can show everyone anyway, okay? But why not do this today? I mean, you can wait until our next baptism service in November, but why? Why wait? Why not do it today? Even if you weren't planning to do this, that's okay. We have extra shirts. We have extra gym shorts, towels. We're ready, okay? We're ready for you to do this. You can do this. Now, let me mention one more thing. We are asking that anyone who's going to be baptized spontaneously, like you're deciding right now, anyone who's going to do that today be at least 13 years old. And the reason is because we want to make sure that children have had time to process this with their parents. We don't want parents hearing this and running up to Kids Connection and grabbing their kids. You need to be baptized. Say, what? I don't know what you're talking about. You know, and all that. And, and just, you know, get all caught up in that. So, so if, you're under, if you're under the age of 13, and because this message, you know, you're, you're sitting here and you're feeling like, hey, I want to be baptized. That's awesome. We want you, we encourage you to talk with your parents sometime in the next few weeks talk with your parents about this, tell them you want to get baptized, talk with them, all that. And then if they feel like you're ready, you can be baptized at our next celebration in November. 
You can be baptized there. Now, if you are under 13 years old and you came to the orientation last week, you've already talked to your parents, you came to the orientation, that's great. We're ready for you to be baptized, okay? Um, You've had time to process it, so we're comfortable with you being baptized today. Okay, so here's what I want to do. I want us us just to pray for a moment, okay? So just bow your your head. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to just ask the Holy Spirit just to give, I want, I want the Holy Spirit to speak to us. I want to give us a couple moments here just to see if maybe the Spirit is prompting us to get baptized. So Holy Spirit, if, if there is anyone here, maybe it's someone who just placed their trust in you. Or maybe it's someone who was baptized as an infant and they're thinking, man, I have never publicly said I'm a follower. That was about my parents. I've never publicly said I am a follower of Jesus. And I am wanting to do this. So I just pray, Lord, wherever we're at in this process, that you would speak to hearts about getting baptized right now. We just wait on you right now, Lord. I just pray, Lord, thank you for the new life that we have in you. I pray just for courage for anyone who's saying, ah, I really, they're maybe feeling that sense from you. I just pray for the courage to follow through. And this would be an awesome way for them just to say yes to you, to obey you in this way and to publicly declare what has already happened in their hearts. They have placed their trust in you. They have died with you. They are risen with you. And now they're gonna publicly declare that they wanna follow you. So I pray you'd lay it on their heart. 